Hello and welcome to Making and Doing. I'm Graham Newman, founder of Design School Asia. In this series of conversations, I'm asking industry experts how user experience design will manifest the technologies delivering Web3's ecosystem. I want to find answers to how this ecosystem can foster cultural, social and economic value through the lens of interdisciplinary design practice and collaboration. In today's show, we're talking to Mo Iman, founder of NFT development studio Arc Labs, unpacking how artists, creatives and developers are collaborating inside the blockchain and decentralized realms. Mo has worked in the fashion, retail banking and sports event management sectors as an interdisciplinary professional, connecting people, technology and organizations. So a perfect fit for Web3 entrepreneurship and advice for us mere mortals looking for the answers to the product and market fit questions taking place at a monumental pace inside Web3. And wearing his metaverse hard hat, Mo also hosts the weekly Twitter space, Building Web3. We begin by asking Mo to give us some insights into the NFT ecosystem he is creating at Arc Labs. What we're building is an MVP product, which is a 10,000 PFP NFT project with the main aim of raising funds so that we may onboard the next upcoming artists, developers, creatives and also be able to play a pivotal role within the NFT and Web3 ecosystem where we can bring and empower women, female users, non-binary creatives, and also fund projects within the Asian and the Sub-Saharan African regions, which seems to have a large pool of talent but go unnoticed due to their lack of access or knowledge on how to network and how to really bring themselves out to the global platform. I'm really pleased to hear that this is you know, a very inclusive product market offering. How far behind the curve are we in Southeast Asia and Sub-Sahara? I would say Sub-Saharan is way uh, behind as compared to Southeast Asia, given that uh, we do have some of the biggest unicorns in the world uh, taking birth in Asia, primarily in Singapore, followed by Malaysia, closely followed by uh, Indonesia, and then by Philippines. Um, I believe there are countries like Vietnam and Thailand that still have a bit of work to do in, around their policies that should hopefully in the coming years elevate those projects as well. So it's really within Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa that we believe is all the hidden gems and talents. The first Arc Labs project will be launched through a collection of 10,000 NFTs created by an Italian artist. Tell us about that. Yep, that's correct. So uh, we collaborated with the Italian female artist and we have a Dutch female co-founder. We're supported by a team of a Spanish creative director um, and a Chinese uh, expert in uh, backend in terms of smart contracts, safety and security, and web development. So it's it's really a, almost a mini United Nations, so as to speak. I was really interested in your point earlier about creating a collaborative cross-disciplinary community here. I think it's fair to say that although so many of the projects are nothing except the PFP, and there is no community or roadmap or conferred real benefit for the holder. 
Um, that's right. I, I guess uh, with the craze and the boom of NFT, just like any other industry, what has happened is everybody jumped into it. We can see that having both positive and negative effects in the positive side, it's empowered a lot of uh, artists, creatives, talents to come together, to hone their skills, to unite and collaborate with people which they in normal circumstances wouldn't have even spoken to, whether it be in real life or online. And we've seen the bad side of it as well, where um, opportunists and uh, other, let's call them, um, people who saw that they could make a quick buck have uh, created projects with uh, sky-high promises and um, have led to something called a rug pull, where the creator or the team of creatives uh, create a project promising the community a lot of rewards, utilities, and roadmap, but failed to deliver as none of them or hardly any of them have any actual entrepreneurial skills or business acumen. And is this something that is open to any creatives? I'm making a gross assumption here that the gaming industry are going to be the heirs to all of this opportunity. But can we also consider other traditional forms of the creative industries? And I'm thinking designers and photographers and filmmakers and fine artists. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's the space for everyone. Um, there are platforms such as Foundation, uh, Rarible, um, and Super Rare, which cater specifically to musicians, photographers, one-of-one artists, and um, down to even poets and writers right now, where they are uh, fundraising their book publication through uh, creating their written works into NFTs. So the space is just about for anybody. Think of NFTs as uh, almost a fundraising platform such as Kickstarter, just with a bigger accessibility and a lower level of entry. So how can creative people get involved in art labs and get involved with the community and the kind of full accessibility that you're going to be offering with the company? Uh, what we're doing is we're starting uh, soon in the coming week by launching our Discord, which will be made up of a global community of talents, moderators, support uh, team members, and uh, including mentors, advisors, and investors. They can start from there. That's the easiest way that they can get in introduce themselves, share a bit about themselves and ask around. And uh, hopefully one of us will jump right in and guide them through their journey. Is there any dependency on territory regulation and policy with this, with respect to operating in Southeast Asia? As it is still a very evolving industry and sector and niche, let's call it that, the government and the official narrative around it is very fluent. Uh, we do see a lot of positive uh, support throughout Southeast Asia, not just Southeast Asia, but globally as well. As uh, companies, um, Web2 companies, large corporations, investors, including real estate developers, uh, bankers, uh, financial sector are starting to see the potential of NFTs and NFTs as a whole as a bigger metaverse ecosystem. Uh, we can see that from the example of HSBC in Singapore and Hong Kong that have recently purchased land in the metaverse and other banks are following suit. Uh, JP Morgan is another one of them. Morgan Stanley is following through as well. So this is just the beginning of uh, how NFTs are going to expand and just become a part of our life. 
And I think Standard Chartered in Singapore were pretty quick off the blocks as well with that one. That's right. I'm wondering if there needs to be a more inclusive physical ecosystem for creators, Mo, as it's becoming very evident across projects. The ones that will be around in 24 months' time are most likely to be those that have held real-life events or created a brand or have a broader application. I'm thinking the gaming and virtual world here and those that have active community engaging together. What's your take on this? So there was something that recently I was talking to a friend about, which I mentioned by saying when you build for the next 10 years in mind, it sits different than when you build for the next 100 days in mind. Uh, what this means is anybody, and this would be my advice to anybody trying to get into the metaverse, the DeFi, the Web3 space, and NFTs in particular, um, build with a long-term commitment. Do understand that the road ahead is not easy. It can be challenging. But for each one of us, as we uh, are open to innovation and evolving and collaboration, as decentralization truly means collaboration, and that's the only way a community can thrive and really uh, profit. On this, I would say uh, opportunities are limitless. It's just what mindset you approach it with. I'd like to move on to your point about the, the role of NFTs in the metaverse. And I'm thinking along the lines of virtual marketplaces and art galleries and new real estate frontiers. That's a tip of it. Definitely. I mean, that's where it's going to start from. So it's going to start from virtual land, gaming, uh, some form of interaction, which will then lead to in real life events. As you mentioned earlier, there's going to be a lot of um, physical merchandise that will be attached to each of these NFTs. And um, there will be certain membership accessibility to exclusive events, exclusive gatherings, even exclusive workshops. So think about uh, instead of having to, for example, try and pitch your idea to someone like Shark Tank. Now, all um, that can be quite complex and you would need a very strong network, backing and so on. You can change that and get that same amount of funding or even more by collaborating with someone like Art Labs, for example, where you walk in with an idea that makes sense, that you believe in it and that you're passionate about. And we will bring together the right people and experts to evaluate the MVP and then advice to either invest or readjust the project based on its uh, sustainability. From a passive interest here, there, there seems that currently there's such a colossal difference between creating NFTs of your artwork and the iterative 10,000 cartoons and community NFT. And so many of those are entirely reliant on liquidity and the random vagaries of people's interest. Mm -hmm. So the question is, why do some sell out or have a huge demand versus any other project? There are multiple factors behind the success or the failure of an NFT project. One of them is the clear vision of team. The second one, which is it's an, uh, I'm really blunt about this and quite honest, is um, it's not so much about the art as it is about the community you can have one of the best artists in the world create art for you. A good example right now is Madonna's collaboration with Beeple, which was um, initially hyped up to raise a lot of funds and be quite successful. Um, and a few days back, they just announced that the project was a failure. Now, given that both of them are well-known celebrities and Beeple is one of the first one to sell his NFTs for $69 million called 5,000 Days, an artist with such a good track record failing an NFT with a very well-known musician, artist, and creative as Madonna, 
goes to show that it isn't so much about who you are or what you are. It's more about the community that you nurture, how you guide them and how you deliver on your promises. And from an expert point of view, from an entrepreneur's point of view, where are these conversations being taken place for somebody that would like to get more information and to do a deep dive into the NFT community? Because Web3 is so diverse and so inclusive at the same time, it has adapted so easily based on different regions. Now, uh, one of the examples is in Southeast Asia, for example, there is a high penetration in the number of Discord users and Twitter users that a lot of Web3 conversation happens. In the Middle East, on the other hand, as Discord has limitations and WhatsApp calls are banned, a lot of the conversations are taking place on Google Meets and on Meetup. Um, in the US, it's mainly Discord. So I would s- suggest to anyone, if they want to start discovering about NFTs, uh, jump onto Twitter, look for hashtags, uh, do your own research, reach out to a few people that you think are sharing valuable insights and are genuine and are not shilling. It seems to be a very open and collaborative community here. There doesn't seem to be a kind of hierarchy and everybody appears on at least the face of it to be willing to kind of have that creative commons conversation and be be very open and very broad in terms of bringing in more expertise, more interest into the community. Would that be right? Uh, That is correct. Now, um, I can say that from my own personal and professional experience that a year back, I was no one in Web3 space as I had very little knowledge of NFTs, basic knowledge of crypto. And here we are just over 18 months and I am now a part of a protocol DAO, um, just to kind of give you a little insight behind on what we've created. Uh, we have been funded with $3.5 million with companies such as SoftBank, Three Arrows and Sequoia Capital. And we're looking at our seed A, Series A funding coming up quarter three of this year at a valuation of $600 million. And that's going from being a no one to working with a team of highly intelligent, really passionate developers and like-minded community members. And all that happens just through a tweet. It's a very exciting prospect, the promise of art from a perspective in terms of the artist receiving ongoing royalties if and when the art is sold on. NFTs are illiquid, correct? They are speculative investments. Since it's a new asset to marketplace, there's not a lot of historical data to research on this. No, there isn't. But um, to um, this is an interesting question. So, and a comment. So, on this, um, as early as the last two weeks, NFTs were considered illiquid. In the last two weeks, that landscape is, has changed. There are platforms now that have evolved and. Uh, come into play where a user holding an NFT can stake it or stake against it to leverage uh, loans, even stable coins or otherwise altcoins, which means that, for example, if you hold a board APH club, which is one of the most famous in the world, you can stake that at a platform and hedge against it and borrow up to $80,000 at 6% per annum. I'm going to be very provocative here, and I would argue that it is still a very volatile investment. And as with most art, digital or physical, the value of it is relative and based on what someone is willing to pay for it. That's the unique nature of NFT, um, which can be viewed as a pro and con. 
Am I wrong? Definitely, you're right on this. Um, NFTs values are nothing more than the intrinsic value that it has attached to it. Uh, to anybody looking to get into NFTs, I would say first start with do your own research. Understand what you can invest and how much do you want to gamble around. NFTs are nothing short of a gamble. We're still very early in the stages of NFT as there are no regulations in place. There's no standards in place. There are no insurance policies in place. So whatever a user or an investor thinks he or she is putting in is an amount either they profit very well from or they might stand losing it all. I'd like to move on and talk about the artistic side and the originators, the artists here, particularly with a view to education and in terms of pipeline talent of this incredible industry in the future. Where does this sit within education? Because it seems to be emerging of science and technology and the humanities and the social sciences. And let's include into that business operations, marketing and finance. Um, I think very soon, and we see that happening already, positions such as chief metaverse officer, chief NFT officer, chief design officer are appearing and popping up everywhere. We can see that now recently with the uh, CEOs of major telecoms leaving their positions to join the ranks of such as Polygon, Chainlink, Ethereum, as they see the potential in it and they just don't see the potential in it. But it has become almost somewhat of an advocacy where influencers and leaders do want this to become a part of the basic education program as um, earlier mentioned by saying NFTs will become a part of our life. So an organization, no matter how small or big, will utilize NFT in the coming years, and we will all be a part of the ecosystem. That's very interesting. I mean, not necessarily just restricted to higher education. I'm thinking of K-12, where, you know, school children are inherent with using technology and, and being very technology literate, as opposed to, you know, when, when we were that age. And perhaps embedding these, these kind of broad competencies might be a really interesting way to look at how to adapt the STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering, and maths, and bring more artistic and creativity disciplines into that within within k-12 oh wow yes definitely um so the the best um way to analyze this and even look at it now if somebody does want to understand it a bit better is to look at how a dao works a dao is a decentralized autonomous organization um, non-hierarchical it's a group of people coming together with a clear vision or a mission and contributing based on their skill set. And not just that, but also learning along the way. Some of our youngest DAO members are as young as 15. So this is a great opportunity for them. Uh, we just shared a post earlier today by saying, um, looking at statistics as in terms of like where our DAO members are based and what devices do they use in terms of connectivity. And there was something really interesting that we saw. We are, might be only one of the only few DAOs in the world that has the highest percentage of mobile penetration in terms of users. And a lot of them are based in Africa and Sub-Saharan uh, Africa. Uh, when we did a second evaluation just to understand demographics and so on, we found out that a lot of them are still in high school. This Web3 has created opportunities for countries, for people and talent, which otherwise has been ignored till this date and I think will 
go on being ignored by mainstream education system. And using NFT as a tool, we look at uniting and amplifying and elevating them. And um, yep, it will, to answer it in a short way, yes, this will become a part of every education system starting from a very young age. So this clearly is something that we cannot ignore. This is coming. Oh, no, uh, we can ignore it, but uh, <laughs> it is going to happen whether we like it or not. Um, it's similar to other truths that we can overlook, but once it's either going to be we innovate now or we play the game of catch up much later. Do you see the impact of Web3 similar to that of pre.com bubble burst, 98, 99, 2000. And there was a time where venture capitalists in Silicon Valley used to go directly at networking events to the guy in the t-shirt and the jeans, realizing that they were the brains behind the business. Given the huge impact of those 36 months with the internet, how can we relate to what's happening now with Web3? And is, is it going to be a bigger impact? Or is there an element of the emperor's new clothing about all of this? So there's this talk going around where the general mindset is that we're in a crypto bear market, which means that cryptocurrencies and blockchain aren't performing as well as they should be. Um, there also talks about whether they're just a fad and they're here just to pass away in the coming years or even months. And then there is the reality of it. Um, we're looking at somebody like uh, Anderson Horwitz and his uh, venture capital firm who's just committed to investing $4.9 billion into the metaverse in the NFT realm. So I really think of it as um, it depends where you get your news from. There is a big part of it. I still firmly believe that maybe more than 70% of NFTs and metaverse projects, including tokens and coins, will not see success in the next 24 months. But that's a great thing because what it creates and for those who are willing to learn is a very good benchmark in understanding how not to deliver a project. Let's talk about the relationship of the traditional banking industry and blockchain and the impact of that. Is this something that the two entities can exist together? I believe that people in retail and investment banks feel rather scared and left behind. Um, is this something that you think there is a space for both to exist in? Definitely. The Web3 and Web2 are very interconnected. Traditional finance and decentralized finance, or as we call it, DeFi, are interwoven. What Web3 is doing is it's solving problems that Web2 traditional institutional and retail banks could not otherwise solve, such as, um, let's give, let's take an example, a bank such as Standard Chartered or HSBC or Chase does not have the resources to open up a branch in every rural area and hence a big portion of the world's population, 1.7 billion to be exact, in 2022 are unbanked or underbanked. There is an argument around it by saying these are the same people that are not technologically savvy or do not have uh, mobile connectivity, which when you dig a dip deeper, realize that is not the fact. Out of the 1.7 billion who are unbanked and underbanked, only 0.6 billion of them do not have a mobile phone which means that we as a global economy, and this is a research that's done through IMF and World Bank as well, 
uh, have ignored a vast population, 1.1 billion users around the world. And DeFi is solving this by looking at and creating solutions every day where we look at onboarding the next billion users onto DeFi and providing them with a basic banking identity and service uh, with the intention of elevating their lifestyle and getting them out of poverty. This is an area of economic and social and cultural change, which I'm very passionate about. I think historical access to education and the creative industry in Southeast Asia is both exclusive and elitist. And it seems to be that what you're talking about is actually being very, very inclusive and allowing anyone through 3G, 4G technologies to participate in this incredible revolution. Definitely. Um, now, if you think about Metaverse itself, Metaverse has many aspects to it. Uh, the most recent one is play to earn. Um, there is now an uprise in study to earn, learn to earn, and work to earn, which means that there will be groups and contributors that will have one intention, and one intention only is to educate the uneducated, empower the ones who are not and elevate those who live in challenging conditions with limited accessibility, limited knowledge, and limited resources. And this is all not just a dream, it's a reality that's happening right now. Is there any issues to accessing information? I'm thinking, you know, at a very high level, at um, academic white paper level, peer-reviewed journals, the real cutting-edge documentation of the future of this traditionally is always written in English. Uh, for example, if you're a Thai academic, it's very difficult to uh, be able to access this because of the exclusivity of the academic world, certainly, and to a point, the industrial world, which is primarily the default language is English. Is, is there any take on that being a glass ceiling in terms of access to information and creativity and the ability to almost kind of microfinance um, these opportunities? So um, this is where DAO comes in. This is the beauty of DAO. Um, we can take Mean DAO, for example, which I'm a part of. We have 16 languages and we have sub DAOs within our DAO of talent pools, which range from marketeers, research analysts, translators, linguists, lawyers, and every skill that potentially anyone can think of. Uh, hence, we have a huge community in Iran. We have one in Turkey and in other regions of the world, which otherwise might have been ignored due to some political sanctions and who suffers from that are really the common people. Um, so our white papers, for example, are all translated into multiple languages. Our information and database is translated into multiple languages. Not just that, we've now started even creating video content for the same information for those who might not be even be able to read, but can hear. We're looking at other ways of reaching people in the way that they absorb and digest information. So give us your insights, future predictions. Where are we headed with this? As NFTs, um, oh, NFTs are evolving. Um, this is, they're ever evolving. So um, even till about somewhere a few days back, there was a terminology that wasn't very uh, common within the space, which is called SBT, soul bound tokens. That's the next evolution of NFTs. Um, as NFTs stand for non-fungible tokens, which means that you have the true ownership of the art or the creative or the token once you purchase it. but 
In reality, that's not the case as they're transferable. And true ownership can only be proven with something such as SBT. SBTs are soul bound tokens, non-transferable. They are owned only by you. They're created just for you. So think about your birth certificate or your driving license or your passport or your work experience certificate or your educational degree. They will all be issued as SBT and they will be stored on the blockchain, decentralized. And it does not matter if you're moving countries or your employer needs that for reference. It's always going to exist as a part of your digital identity. And the best part about it is you own your data. I think um, governments, policymakers, educational institutes should really approach NFTs, Web3 with an open mind. What Web3 really is, is an extension of Web2. It's just been created by people who have understood underlying problems and are addressing that now at a younger age because they do not want to repeat the same mistakes of history that their parents or grandparents have repeated, which led to wars, which led to famine, which led to poverty, or which have led to uh, economic inequality. So use of Web3 in the right direction with the right intention and the purpose could eradicate all those underlying problems that we have on a global scale. Lastly, what would be your advice for somebody wanting to go on this journey? Learn as much as you can. Reach out to people. Don't have an ego. This is a space where everyone wants to help everyone and everyone will help everyone because there is no competition. It's true collaboration. So if you're an artist, if you're a newbie, there is no shame. Start, be passionate, be open-minded about it. And the best thing, trial and error. Go on, do it, fail, learn. Why did you fail? Connect, talk to people, do better. Mo Iman, thank you so much. I appreciate it. it's your birthday this morning. <laughs> Have a wonderful day. I appreciate your time, Graham. Have a good one. And you can connect with Mo on his LinkedIn page and find out more about Arc Labs at their website, arclabs, that's A-R-C-L-A-B-Z dot I-O. That brings us to the end of today's show. Thanks to Mo for sharing his NFT insights and how creativity and blockchain are making change happen. To join our network of design professionals, researchers and educators helping sense of what's happening right now as design evolves from making things to making things possible, go to the DSA website. That's designschoolasia.com. And students, applications are open for our autumn semester starting in August where you can expect 12 weeks of design expertise and leadership education delivered by flexible learning, plus an opportunity to take what you've learned into the professional design studio with one month's paid co-op industry placement. To apply, go to the DSA website. This episode of Making and Doing was co-produced by DSA in Bangkok and Chris Lusher in Hong Kong. My thanks to him. That's it from me, Graham Newman. Thanks for listening.